so the idea was we do a Breath of the Wild podcast. And it, we don't know how to do that. It was an idea so I was then, resistant to for a while. That's true. I, I was thinking about in terms of that one tweet that we were responding to. But it is something that we mentioned on the Koholid podcast over and over again. And I think we both said it was a bad idea, right? Well, it was a bad idea in the context of the Koholid podcast, which for right, right. you listeners that maybe are listening to this, we did a podcast where we did one micro episode for each map tile on the game mm-hmm. Link's Awakening. And so in when we were doing that podcast, we kept joking about doing Breath of the Wild in the same way. Which is a game by, like having that an features, episode about every single location. There are way more somehow. than 256 locations in Breath yeah. of the Wild. Uh, I'm going to say that's pretty definitive. Um, yes. And so, from that framework, I was like, "Oh, it can't be done. It can't be done." Uh, but then revisiting the idea later, uh, I think we've come up with an approach that might work out pretty good for us. Yes, the idea was. Um, Zach has been meaning to replay Breath of the Wild. So I, I guess that's um, that's the background. Yeah, is uh, I played Breath. I'm Zach. Hi, I played Breath of the Wild on my Wii U when it first came out. Uh, I have not uh-huh. touched the game since. And I'm Ryan, and I've played. I played it on the Switch when it came out, and I've played it a few times, and I've logged an embarrassing number of hours. Not really playing, but just letting my horse ride around. So oh, your horse doesn't ride. He he does though. I ride my horse around. Is a horse? Is a horse? What? I guess a horse. Well, the horse doesn't ride around unless it's riding on top of something. The horse gallops around, and I ride on top of it. I guess you're right, but I feel like I've heard like a horse ride. At... No, you're right. You're right. Language. I know. Um. Anyway, so you're coming from a position of you've played this game a lot more than I have, and you know the game inside and out way more than I do, where I did play it when it first came out. I put 70 or 80 hours into it, probably. I did not 100% it. I didn't finish Eventide Island. I didn't. There's a lot of stuff I didn't touch in the game, and I have not touched any of the DLC. Mm. Um, none of that stuff. And so uh, it's time to it's time to dip my foot back into that game. And we figure that provides us a good framework to talk about it, where uh, each week I will play some portion of the game, and then we will come together and talk about that uh, for mm, X number of minutes or whatever. Um, yes. That's the, the idea that we're trying out. And so... When we did our other podcast, we did an episode zero, which I don't think anybody's ever heard. It's a secret episode zero. No. Oh. I, we this... haven't had a reason to, like, hold it over people's heads to, like, say, you know, give us this thing that we want and we'll give you this secret episode in return. We're cur- we're still holding that episode for ransom. We just haven't made our demands yet. Yeah. So a- any day now, uh, the, the hostages will uh, be delivered. Or something. I don't know. Um, yeah. Uh, so I wanted to. I like to. I like the idea of doing an episode zero just to kind of approach the format and just see if if we can fill time on something like that. Uh, yes. So the idea that I pitched to Ryan was that uh, 
which I was trying to think of a because a, a, I don't want to play like the first part of Breath of the Wild as an episode zero. I want to play something different. Uh, so I figured I would go all the way back to uh, the original The Legend of Zelda for the Nintendo Famicom. Mm. Uh, and I played that uh, this week. Spent probably four or five hours altogether playing through that whole game again. And do you have that, like, memorized? So, not entirely. Uh, I've played it... Maybe not every year, but it's been for a couple of years now. It's been about once a year I, I sit down and just play through that game. Uh, I didn't... It wasn't a childhood game for me. In the, like, a young childhood game for me. Like, that was one of the ones we had that well, I, I... Go ahead. The first time I ever played it was on the 3DS Virtual Console. Yeah. It's a so game. is that the same for... No. No, for me it was... When, di- w- Go ahead. Okay. No, you talk. Tell, tell <laughs> about it. Um, we definitely had a copy at our house or at a house that was accessible to us or something like that. But on the NES, we were only ever really interested in playing Battletoads and uh, mm. uh, the Ninja Turtles 2, the arcade game one. And so okay. we never really touched original Legend of Zelda. And it wasn't until years later, playing other Zelda games, I kind of worked my way back to that, to Zelda 1, and sure. eventually played that. And then got in a rhythm of playing it every so often. So I know enough about it to get through... So, okay, so this run this time, I got through probably about half the game without really looking anything up. Mm-hmm. Um, just off sheer inertia. Uh, so I got notes. I'm looking at my notes now. Uh, I definitely remember where... So the the original Legend of Zelda, the 1986 video game, uh, adventure game that you're all familiar with, um, is a good parallel to Breath of the Wild because it's just a big open world that you're thrown into and you have to go find stuff. And so yes. the game starts and you have access to a whole bunch of stuff. And so before you even go to the first dungeon, you can go stock up on stuff, right? Right. And so I found three of the five hearts in the overworld. Those ones, I just know where they're at. So my first play is always sure. to grab those hearts and then go get the first sword upgrade. Gosh. And then... Okay. Uh, and then you can also go, I know where the, where the shop where you can buy the blue ring to make your armor better. Uh, okay. but I never know where all the good money caves are. Okay. Yeah. So I either have to look so them there's up. A, there's a lot of layers of stuff to keep track of. And, um, you know, it's similar to Breath of the Wild in that you can just go anywhere and do anything, but... Unlike Breath of the Wild, in Legend of Zelda, nobody is telling you what to do at all. Yeah. You have no hints. Like, someone says, Eastmost Peninsula has the secret. That <laughs> isn't really useful information, though. Yeah, there's no... there's no Nobody really guides you to any of the dungeons, except maybe a couple. It's all really weirdly translated. Mm-hmm, uh... Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of it very opaque. Uh, a lot of the advice, but there there still isn't even that much of an attempt to guide you. 
and not really know. I mean, you're just expected to walk around and stumble upon dungeons and mm-hmm. in some cases stumble upon like really weird tiny entrances to find it, it, it it's very yeah it's... yeah the they don't okay a lot of the uh th- secrets in this game are like places where you need to push a tile like a rock that looks like all the other rocks or blow up a wall that has no indication that it's you'd be able to blow it up what, en- um, what ends up happening yeah. is that you have to kind of learn the language the game communicates in, and mm-hmm. that's kind of true of a lot of Zelda stuff, or maybe a lot of video games in general, but a lot of the Zelda series is the game has its own way of signifying things, and LOZ is not the best at communicating those things, but there are attempts sure. in there of like, okay, well this rock con- configuration is sketchy or you'll be looking at a dungeon map and you're like well there should be theoretically there should be a room here but i don't have a door to it Mm -hmm. so maybe i need to bomb this wall and i noticed that a lot more this time of like being given bombs in situations where the game wants you to bomb something and uh it's fascinating because as far as i know this was more or less the first game in this mode so a smarter person will be able to tell me that there are antecedents. The an- the antecedents in this case would be something like adventure, um, okay, like original ass adventure, um, and probably some other computer games. But I know adventure is the one that's really declared as kind of like the well, adventure kind of did this first, sort of, kinda, but not to this extent, and sure, not with this much. Um, I was going to say with this much gameplay, but that's not really the way to... This much action to it. Because hmm. it is still an action game, and you're still fighting enemies in all their awesome early <laughs> NES stylings and stuff like that. Because the NES has some good little dudes to fight. Yes. Some cute little monsters. Um. So yeah, I, I, I'm trying to think where else. I played through that... Didn't have too much trouble. Eventually, get impatient and start looking up dungeon maps. Sure. Just because I'm not going to navigate all of Death Mountain. That dungeon is ridiculous. It's quite ridiculous. I think when I first played this game, I want to say, I can't confirm this, that I didn't look anything up. I drew my own map nice but i really abused the uh, the uh, save state functionality of the virtual console oh i gotcha so i was immune to the intense frustration of dying over and over again i had a but yeah when i had with that freedom i was able to um you know maintain the patience you need to not look all this stuff up right uh, I definitely had some frustrating moments. There was a point in, where does it say, Dungeon 8, that you have to kind of gauntlet through, like, five rooms or so, and they're full of just, like, dark nuts, and the, really, the blue wizrobes actually were worse than the dark nuts this playthrough. They're very bad. They they do not have any respect for you. <laughs> um, And it, it had to get all the way to the end and then beat a goma to advance to the next thing I actually needed. And so I like left the dungeon, had to farm rupees to buy potions, mm-hmm. got back in the dungeon, got all the way up to the goma, 
pulled out my bow to shoot and realized, hey, wait a second, this is LLZ. I need rupees to shoot this bow. And then had to go scuttle around the dungeon to try and find more rupees to shoot the bow to beat the guy. Uh, It's a good game. This is a good game. It's very... Well, like, the reason I was bringing up the... The the fact that they like there was no established way of making this kind of game is because it's extremely good, and they kind of just invented a good game. Yeah, it wasn't like like the the idea of you start out and you need to get the sword before you go on and like the way that like level one is arranged to be kind of of almost sort of obvious first place to go yeah 100 percent. like the the map doesn't funnel you toward level one at least not in any obvious way right but it's set up so that I think many, many players, definitely not every player, but many, many players are just going to naturally end up following the correct path um, or the, like, normal path without, you know, definitely without any of these modern contrivances of the guy tells you, hey, you see that dungeon over there? Go to that dungeon first. Yeah. Uh, But without, like... With the meagerest vocabulary I think of visual cues, it's wild. The visual cues, I'm thinking specifically about pointing you to Dungeon 1. Uh, it just, it, I think it uses the landscape in a way that's very prescient for what we're going to be talking about, talking about Breath of the yes. Wild. That I'm thinking like how I would naturally get to there is you'd follow the water, right? You wander till you hit a water source, and then you kind of yes. follow that around, and then that leads to a very conspicuous island, and that's Dungeon 1. So even here in this early iteration of the series, it's using the landscape to kind of suggest a direction you Jack, should go. that's so apt. Because that's, I'm thinking how, like, I would end up there as a kid. It's like, yeah, you'd be following that. Yeah. You wouldn't want to cross the bridge yet, but then you go over here, and then, yeah, like. Oh, that's so smart. Um, You're I def- good at this. This is going to be a good podcast. I, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad. I definitely felt like I spent most of the time in the green section of the map. I'm, I'm looking at a picture of the map right now. Uh, mm-hmm. And then I would only make forays into the rest of it. Uh, the one thing I had here is the one part of the map that's kind of closed off is the whole east, or the west side, rather. Um, that's either you need the stepladder to cross water to get to, or you need to navigate the Lost Woods puzzle. Sure. Uh, and I've never bothered to know the Lost Woods puzzle, because I just... You don't need to go over there till you have the stepladder. So I, uh, I've never learned that one. Yeah. Um, I was reading someone else's analysis of this game, and they were talking about um, the dungeons in terms of critical path mm. and like how they're very smartly arranged. Yeah. Um, the, but like mentioning. Isn't it odd that this or that thing isn't on the critical path? Um, the bow, you can get through the first dungeon, or whichever dungeon has the bow, without getting the bow. Yeah, you totally. You need it to finish the dungeon. Yep. Um, and I think that... 
what do I want to say about that? It's, I think it's cool that it's not like so deterministically laid out, right? Yeah, it's not as, well, I was going to say deliberate, but that's not the correct word. Deterministic is probably the way you're, you, you got the right word there. Uh, um, where uh, more, I was going to say modern, but like, you know, Twilight Princess. Yeah, modern. Twi- uh, you know, they're not, not modern anymore because modern's moved on. But, you know, your Twilight Princess era, your Skyward Sword era, those games had dungeons where you need to interact with every single piece of this dungeon in the order pretty mm-hmm. much we're going to give you. Right. Uh, there's not a lot of free form to it. Um, uh, but I, I mean modern in that, um, like, not, maybe not to that extreme, but the modern sensibility even outside the Zelda series is if there is a... If you're going to go to place A and then place B and you're going to need the thing in place A when you get to place B, they are going to, they're not going to let you leave place A without the thing. They're going to make it very obviously because people hate backtracking. People do hate backtracking these days. It's very insidious what people don't like. I... I don't know if you're being serious, but I think it is a real shame that people treat backtracking as an inherently bad thing. Oh no, I agree with you. In the game, it's okay. just it's just trends get really the broader gaming trends tend to they just need to calm down sometimes. <laughs> just just, calm, just cool off, just relax. Um, that's all. That's I think that's all my notes for LOZ, but. What ended up happening, what part of what spawned LOZ was that A, it was something I could play in one session and get something to talk about so we had a little more meat to go with the potatoes of this podcast. But leading up to talking about Breath of the Wild, it's real useful Mm -hmm. to talk about um, kind of some of the design uh, origins and goals that the creators had with that game. Yes. And there's a very, very good GDC talk. I linked you to just a part of it. Right, and I had to watch it with the sound off, so I hope yeah. I wasn't missing anything. No, you're not missing anything. So it's, Okay. <laughs> I mean, you should watch the rest of that GDC talk sometime. In 2017, a couple days before Breath of the Wild came out, they, uh, the director and some of the other different directors on the game uh, did a presentation at GDC uh about kind of their design process behind the game it's an interesting talk um i think if i had a bigger brain about game design in general i might think that their approach makes sense but also is something that has probably been arrived at by a lot of different devs maybe it's not entirely i got that impression from looking at the slides maybe not entirely unique but also there's well we'll talk about it in a second but um but the the first present the first presenter is hitamaro fujibayashi who i'm gonna click was the director on a bunch of zelda stuff uh starting with the oracle games uh all the way up to breath of the wild now the current breath of the wild stuff 
um not the person you think of as kind of being the driver driving force behind the games mm-hmm. but in fact you know is uh and he did the presentation where he talked about a lot of the prototyping and stuff they did before they actually started making breath of the wild and they show off um this very adorable prototype where in order to prototype the idea of having how do you say it like sim- uh, systems in the world that interact to create kind of th- th- to use those interactions to give you forward momentum in the game uh they made a like a replica of LOZ with a bunch of elements in it like the way that you can catch things on fire or put things out with water or use wind to move things around um it's wild so you saw that right yeah yeah uh it's super interesting uh and something they should put out there that we could play because (laughs) what are they gonna do with it uh but yeah they showed this video it's it's like a it looks like a flash game like someone (laughs) so someone in their (laughs) their attic put together wanted to make you know their own cool version of the legend of zelda because they use a bunch of assets from legend of zelda but with these goofy shadows oh yeah um and it looked it looks all way too clean absolutely uh, so it looks a very cheap and prototypey and it's great yeah um but yeah it like has the idea of a tree can turn into a log and a log can roll down a river and that means I can do this, and that means you can do this. And if you can add that system, then you can put all this stuff together. And <laughs> again, it's like other game developers have come up with the idea of systems interacting can create cool emergent stuff. Yeah, right. You could just ask the Far Cry guys, and they'll just tell you, yeah, you can make a game like that. But they approach it from this very... It's interesting because you got to figure the people that are working on Zelda now are people that have grown up playing other games and having influences mm-hmm. from other places. And so they're bring, finally bringing a lot of that into what Breath of the Wild ends up becoming. Yes. Uh, and this little prototype thing, you know, you have to wonder its internal use... Because they probably didn't make it just for this presentation. They probably made it to show somebody else, maybe one of the old heads working on the game, be like, no, look, you can do this and this. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. That's that's entirely speculation. I um, think that makes a lot of sense. But maybe. But it's it's a really cute little thing that they should put out for us to download for free <laughs> uh, and mess around with. Even if it's only, like, five minutes of time, you can mess with it before it's like, okay, well, that's all this is. It's not a full game. Sure. Some of the other prototypes they show very much look like expansions of Skyward Sword. In what way? I miss maybe missed this part. So I didn't really show you anything of this, but they they I like to talk about Skyward Sword in terms of Breath of the Wild because Skyward Sword was the game was the the previous game they made before that, right? Sure. Uh, it's not a game that's particularly well celebrated for a lot of reasons that I wouldn't disagree with, but I like Skyward Sword because it very much feels. I, I there's a through line between Skyward Sword and Breath of the Wild that you have to acknowledge when you look at it, where Skyward Sword had the stamina meter for climbing, 
you couldn't climb on every surface, but it had that in there. And when you look at like the prototypes they show in this presentation, this uh, GDC presentation, you can see that it's like, okay, this is kind of just the Skyward Sword engine that they retooled to try out just climbing on any surface. And you can see where that came from, and you think maybe, okay, well, maybe if they were thinking about that during Skyward Sword, they just, that game didn't go that direction, but they were clearly, the the thought process was there, like, hey, what if we introduced the stamina meter? How's that going to work out? Okay. So, like, all the stamina stuff comes from there. Um, all of the elemental, st- not, okay, not all of the elemental stuff, but the elemental stuff has a basis in Skyward Sword in a way that is very similar to the way it's presented in Breath of the Wild. So Do you, you have, mean like the physics engine of a fire sword catches trees on fire? Not that stuff so much, but the way that an electric enemy would come at you, and if you had a metal shield equipped, you would get shocked. Okay. Uh, if you had your wooden shield out and a fire, you know, they, they've done that trick before, but... Sure. Yeah, wooden shield out, fire enemy gets you, that might burn up. Um, those level of interactions were in the game in a smaller way than obviously Breath of the Wild, but in a way that feels very much in tune with that, where you can see that the gears were turning there already with that kind of stuff. Mm. So that when they came around time to make this more sandboxy type game, they had some of those systems already in the background. Okay. Uh, and so same director, and that's where I was coming out with that. Is this director clearly, you can see a through line with a lot of this stuff, where that was the first big 3D Zelda game he worked on, and maybe was able to draw on those lessons to throw them into this other prototype and say, hey, this is cool, we should do more with this. And make a sure. cool game out of it. Uh, that's a good GDC talk, you should watch that GDC talk, listener, I'm wagging my maybe finger. Maybe watch it with the sound on. I'm wagging my finger at you. There's also some really goofy... Uh, uh, what do you call it? Like concept art with like aliens and stuff. It's great. Oh yeah, I I've seen some of that stuff before. Where they're like, we really weren't sure what we were gonna shoot for at first, so we just kind of did everything, which is always delightful. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's all I got to talk about. I played Loz. It's good. I am very much looking forward to getting into Breath of the Wild. Right. Uh, I'm gonna play it on the Switch this time. I have okay. a co- I have a copy for the Switch on loan. Uh, the one thing I didn't think about until right before we recorded uh, is the the DLC situation. Sure. Um, you would be the one to ask Ryan. When I download that DLC, all the quests associated with it immediately become active, right? Um, I think some of them are gated by progression. Okay. So you might have to wait until you get such and such a thing, and then it'll say, hey, here's a DLC quest. But a lot of the DLC quests are unlocked um, as soon as, like, I think as soon as the main game opens up. Okay. Yeah, I need to do a little more research into that, because I don't want to, like... Because I know that a lot... I know some of the DLC takes place on the Great Plateau... And I don't want to have that like unlocked as I'm there. That would be really weird. So I might. I don't think I don't think you have that to worry about. Okay, but I do need to get the DLC because the DLC one is where the hero's path is. Oh which, yeah, which that's was the name of the podcast, which, isn't it? Thank you for listening to the thirty minute mark. We revealed that the name is 
the hero's path. It's the 29 minute and 30 second mark over here. Because we were, we didn't start recording at the same time. That were really I mean, that would have been really cool if maybe I can have it set up so that uh, you don't, my audio we we start with your when your recording begins. That seems like a bad and then idea. You're just talking to yourself. I don't then like it would this. Be at the 30 minute mark. That'd be cool. Uh, we don't have to time it out that much, but it, you can do whatever. You're the one editing these for now, so. Well, I, I also don't know for sure that we're going to release this one, are exactly. we? Exactly! We don't know! Who knows? This might just be entirely for our purposes. And we might hold it for ransom secretly for a year or two. Yeah, you never know. It'll yeah. be part of the lost content vault. Uh, yeah, um, that's podcast name, that's podcast goals. Uh, so yeah, and then... Uh, go ahead. I wasn't about to say anything. I thought you were gonna. I thought you were gonna say something. Arms. Um, I think that the the obviously the stated goal that we're gonna put to put to words here, uh, that we're not beholden to at all, is to try and do one episode a week. Uh, I'm gonna try and get in a good four or five hours of the game each week. I think. Uh, which is a good sizable chunk. And probably that will that will give us plenty to talk about depending on what I've done in that time. I'll try and like carve things up in a way that makes sense in my head, but we'll see. Yeah, I trust your instincts as far as what what you think. If when you think you've done enough for an episode, then and then good job. If we end up not hitting, I think that it, in if we shoot for an episode a week, and when we don't hit a week, and like we roll over, or like. We record one, but then, like, it doesn't release because Ryan's too busy being famous to edit a podcast or something. Or, like, That's I good. miss I a like week. how you appeal to my ego. Exactly. Uh, then the next week, what will happen is I will probably end up doubling up by playing something else that is relevant to talk about. Is My, my instinct is to say, like, okay, well, I'll play my Breath of the Wild, but then I'll play a little bit of uh, Link to the Past or something to talk about. I'll find find a little bit of extra side content to kind Wait, of. Wait, so if it. I'm too busy, then you'll play something else and make more work for me. Uh huh. We're gonna have to talk about this. <laughs> I feel like the math doesn't quite add up there. Okay, you're probably right, but uh, I don't know. The idea uh, in my head, I'm like, oh, if I I need to be playing every week, so we'll see. We'll see. Okay. Uh, I have one... No, I don't have anything else. That's it. Okay. I well, think that's it. Do you got anything else, Ryan? Um, something you said about concept art made me think of something I've been chewing on for a while that maybe we'll think about in a different episode. I like it. There's okay. there's a lot to talk about. And there's like a lot yes. of supplementary material for Breath of the Wild that I've just been completely like hands-off because I've not touched the game since then. And there's the fact that there's a side game coming out in like a side week game. and mm-hmm. a sequel coming out eventually that we'll talk right. and and several other breath of the wild like games that are out there that i want to get my hands on at some point mm. i'm gonna play that genshin impact here eventually okay and i'll tell you all about it when that time comes all right 
Uh, but that's a lot. I think there's plenty to chew on there. I think that's good. I think that's podcast.